welcome to this CL Insights podcast with me, Helen Brooks, Business Development Manager at CL. I'm pleased to bring you our next podcast on our focus theme of farmer adoption of innovation. Keep a watch out for other podcasts in this series and a number of blogs from a range of CL members and other contributors that we'll be releasing over the next coming weeks. So why the focus on farmer adoption? Well, it was a key theme highlighted at the CL Accelerating Innovation member event back in September 2022, where innovation happens across the industry sectors was discussed. But it was also discussed that the current sticking point or sticking points uh, is getting farmers to invest in the new technology and the innovation, which they often perceive, perceive as a risk to them. I find it fascinating how different industries, sectors and countries approach engagement of new ideas or the delivery of new info uh, information differently. Uh, and with CL's membership covering the whole of the UK and worldwide, I'm grabbing the opportunity to speak with Jason Rankin, General Manager at AgResearch, to discuss his experience of Northern Ireland's approach uh, and the farmer facing strategies he's been involved in to drive adoption and mitigate those barriers. Jason, really great to have you on the podcast today. Do you mind just giving a quick intro to yourself? Yes, certainly. Well, first of all, an introduction to the organisation. AgResearch is a farmer funded levy body with, with levies collected on farmers' behalf by Darren and Red Meat Processors in Northern Ireland. We use that to then try and commission research and innovation to benefit the farmer. Uh, I suppose we're slightly different from other, uh, from other levy bodies in that we're a voluntary, it's a voluntary levy, therefore we are not a statutory organisation and that we're really exclusively focused on research and innovation. That's brilliant. Thanks for the overview. Thinking about the, you know, the approach and, and you know, your sort of career um, within the agriculture um, industry, how have you seen farmer engagement um, and sort of the methods of knowledge exchange change and, and develop um, in Northern Ireland over the time that you've been working in that area? I think there's been a fair degree of change in that time. Um, I think we've seen, thankfully, a move from a top-down approach to a more knowledge exchange approach where it, it's up it's up and down left and right and, and so on um, in terms of you know some of the activities and the methods we use um it, it continues to be a basket of, of methods but we have added more methods to that basket over time so when i started it was probably primarily obviously things like newspaper articles and then actual events um, possibly seminars more likely farm walks and so on um, and those have continued and they are of great value. We, we're a great believer in on-farm research and have done a lot of work on-farm um, and farmers are more likely to adopt when they see another farm doing it. So we find on-farm research has, has worked extremely well. Um, you know, and I think when you're working with farmers over a period of time and they get confidence and they can speak authoritatively to other farmers, that, that that's a huge win. That's a really huge win where you can get farmers um, who are really kind of comfortable coming out of their shell and, and speaking um, fully and frankly to other farmers. It's a great way. Obviously, um, things have also changed. In the, you know, when I started, social media was barely on the scene and now it's a very important means of getting some messages out. Obviously, there's a limit to what you can get out with social media, but for short, snappy messages, it's available. And then the pandemic obviously forced us to use other methods uh, and brought us to the webinar, which have been surprisingly popular. And those have continued, we're not doing quite as many during the pandemic, but we are still doing webinars. They are a very easy way for farmers to kind of join in um, um, to, to look at a particular topic. And we, we find they are uh, still popular. So those are some of the methods 
that we have been using over recent times and unlike this format too during the pandemic when we couldn't do farm walks we also did a series of podcasts for our grass check network to get out some of those key messages over the year Bab. And thinking about sort of um, grass check and maybe some of the other programmes you've been involved with, um, what have been the ways that you've seen those been most successful and, and any examples of any other projects or, or programmes of work would be would be great? Well, one of the great things about grass check is that um, you know, we have quite a big network in Northern Ireland um, of around well, 40 farmers are actually about to expand on that. Uh, and that means we've got a, a you know everyone has got a grass check farmer not too far away from them um previously before uh, 2017 grass check was solely based on plots of two or three sites and oh that's grand that's hillsborough that's greenmount that's whatever um um but you know that doesn't apply to us down in Fermanagh or Tyrone or whatever um and i think one of the successes of grass check was that it, it kind of it made it more local, it made it accessible. Farmers love seeing the differences that we do get at certain times of year across the province. We do report some of the weather data too, and farmers really find that very interesting. I think also one of the things that GrassCheck did was, you know, I think it, it gave awareness um, um, and promoted the, the, the management of it. I think there was almost a perception prior to that, especially in the dairy sector, that um, Oh, grass management, that's just for the guys in, who are on a kind of spring cabin, New Zealand style system. But actually, no, we, we've got all guys from all kinds of systems within grass check. And we're showing that guys with uh, in the higher output, higher yielding cows, you know, grassland and good grazing management is, is equally uh, as important. And, and that grass can play a really valuable role in those systems too. So I think it's actually just trying to get some of those, those things across uh, and, and highlighting farmers that are taking these actions. I think also the thing is that, you know, it's, it's been undeniable. Um, the last three or four years, we have seen increasing fluctuations in grass growth and variability. You know, for example, in the east of the province, we were probably growing more grass in October than we were in August. Um, you know, and that's that's probably created uh, increased interest because grass no, grass growth no longer follows an, you know, a nice dependable curve and just kind of stays within 10 or 20% of that. It goes all over the shop and all over the place. So I think um, that actually has created a lot more interest and a lot more focus on, on what can be done. So sort of from that, you know, you're looking at the the variety um, of the, the programme, but you're also looking at that community feel potentially. So going from sort of Absolutely. a small number of farms to to a, a multi-farm approach actually brings in that community feel within regions. It does, because most people know people in, in their area, but also even within the network. One of the things we, we started doing with Grashek, we'd done farm projects before, but we started having, for example, communal whatsapp groups for those guys to chat to each other and share tips and, and have talks and so on so that they, you know, they were all pushing things out together and there's a bit of community with them and so on so that that actually worked very well um and having those variations and the fact that everyone feels that there is at least someone else on that network who is farming in a similar location to them or a similar system to them similar size of farm whatever um you know um uh, increases the relevance and appeal to to a lot of farmers yeah no it sounds like it sounds like that that's really working and that variety is really is really coming through um and what sort of in terms of grass check what sort of impact um is being seen from that from that program over in northern ireland i think we have seen you know a, an increased appetite um for it i mean actually what was interesting is we were actually applying for Actually, we're actually advertising for a few more farmers this year to fill certain gaps. And what I was actually extremely pleased at was 
the number of farmers who wanting to join the project who already had a plate meter or a grazing grass were, were using agri-net and so on who are already in the ballparks. I think there actually genuinely has been um, an increased uptake in some of those good grassland techniques over time. I think I'd also have to you know, emphasize that um, it's not just ourselves, there's, there's Caffrey in Northern Ireland who do a lot of extension work. And one of the things ways they have changed in recent years is the use of discussion groups, which I think uh, well, they would call them business development groups. But you know that's helped get a lot of messages to farmers because that peer-to-peer -peer learning actually really helps um, get some of those, those key messages out there. And in terms of, uh, and specifically to Northern Ireland, how do almost, how does the regional approach differ? Um, you know, will will one area's approach differ much to another areas? And, and we've talked about systems in terms of farming systems, but actually how does that have an impact as well in, in how some of that programme delivery is, uh, is, is sort of strategised? You can get actually a lot of variations with farms within a short distance for soil type and all sorts of different reasons. I think, um, I think, Helen, one of the things we have to kind of say across a whole range of messages now is that there's no such, there's very few blueprints out there anymore. Um, and let me go back to, uh, I was just talking about this at a workshop last week. I remember not long after I started in ag research, um, we were involved in a BBSRC um, bid uh, with all the other levy bodies across the UK and it involved all the, the main players in parasites in Liverpool and Morden and so on and had the, the Centre of Ecology and Hydrology and we were going to create a, a blueprint for liver fluke management. Of course, we kind of at the end of that five-year project decided actually no you can't do a blueprint for liver fluke management I mean you can't do the same for parasite management either because it changes farm to farm situation to situation it's the same with grassland management it's the same with so many different things simple blueprints do a do b then do c no it doesn't work you have to have a more um flexible dynamic system because things change challenges change you know you might be right on top of your parasites while mirror the rain might be falling all sorts of things might happen and things change i think it's actually about giving farmers the tools to help them make their own decisions um as best they can um i think the days of you know um of just having simple blueprints you do x then you do y then you do z no it's not us it's kind of a praise where am i where is my grass supply what is my parasite load you know and all these different things and that will only increase because for example we're now looking um i'll talk about this later at some other new projects um uh, looking at legumes and red clover and multi-species towards and that actually just increases the management complexity of the whole thing and you even more than need you know, to be on top of things and to have the time um, uh, to, to make those different decisions. And I think that's a key thing is that it's actually about giving farmers the tools to assess things for themselves and make those decisions for themselves. Because you know, you may get variations, you know, talk grass growth. Well, yes, it could be one location. It could, did you get that shower rain? Did you not get that shower rain? Did you put on fertilizer? What's your soil? There's so many different things. And it's actually about giving farmers the, um, the tools to help them in that process. And we've, we've mentioned sort of different systematic approaches and different soil types and different regionality, but then you, you, you know, you add to that just farmer personalities, but you know, Absolutely. the different ways that, that farmers will make decisions and how they approach it. So that mindset and that sort of that systematic approach just from the farmer adds to that complexity, which means that a blueprint, just you know, one blueprint will not rule all. No, it, it, it won't, you know, and you, you know, I, 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 for example, take grassland management. 
yeah, we're appealing, for example, the dairy farmers. There's many different flavors of dairy farmers. We have everything in Willand for guys and like a New Zealand system to almost a Californian system and everything in between. Um, our beef and sheep sector is now dominated by part-time farmers and you have to accept that there's limits to what they can input and so on. So you have to find solutions that will work for them. So when you're thinking about sort of some of the systems or some of the approaches with regards to communicating with farmers and, and doing knowledge exchange with farmers, have you seen any of the sort of old approaches maybe sneaking back in to, to some of the, the newer um, or current programmes of work or have you seen them being adapted for, for newer programmes? There's some things will always be there and you need you need every tool in the box. So there are still farmers out there, the older generation who still very much look to the, the the weekly farming newspapers, the periodicals that come out and rely off that. You've got some younger generations who would hardly turn the paper, page of a paper, but they'll be on social media and whatever else and get their information from that. I mean, I think things like your know, farm walks um, have been increasingly popular, but it's, it's about how you keep them up to date and fresh and, and so on and, and the format of those. They, you know, they've come back after COVID, thankfully we're delayed to have them back because there is you know, sometimes no substitution for that, but there is still a place for you know, the webinars that we, we started to do during COVID. So I think there's a whole range of methods. It's about trying to keep any communication you do relatively brief and very relevant, I think, is the, uh, is the key aspect of that. And how does timing sort of fit into that? from an, a communications approach and a knowledge exchange approach how, how do you approach that well absolutely listen it, it, it's a very good point and, and everything has a kind of natural time of year so for example we tend to do webinars during the winter months because farmers tend to be you know either at night and so when you can have a, a webinar at eight o'clock or so and and they've got time and they'll sit down and they'll watch it or equally <coughs> if you want to do like an evening meeting you can do it that time of year if you're doing a farm walk, you do it, you know, late, you know, late spring in the summer season and so on. You don't really want to do once in the winter if you can help it, unless there's a particular reason for doing it. So, um, you know, and as all of these things, you try and avoid certain peak seasons of shows or silage making or whatever else. So you just try, you know, and you have to then, you know, maybe look at different dates that might suit dairy farmers or might suit beef farmers. So really, you have to kind of maintain an awareness of, of, of what the farmer's workload are. You know, what kind of availability might be and try and work with that. So all these things tend to have kind of natural seasons and and so on to them. So you, you generally have to take um, that into consideration. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, and this is, this is my opinion and it may be others as well, but, you know, knowledge exchange or the delivery of knowledge exchange has quite often been a, a topic specific approach. So, you you know, you do knowledge exchange on mastitis or you do knowledge exchange on on soil quality or, or that type of thing. Actually, how do you think or do you think that actually more of a, a holistic approach um, and, you know, dare we say a, a multi systematic approach should actually be used for the development of of knowledge exchange, information delivery, communications, call it what we will, should that be more of a, a system that we um, we go for? Yes, you ask a very relevant point. Um, and we're certainly trying to move our, our research agenda, our innovation agenda to a slightly more holistic approach. Traditionally, you know, we tend to do on-farm research on a topic. So whether that be kind of grassland management, dry cow feeding, suckler synchronization, I could go on and on, but they tend to be focused on one particular component, all very worthy. But you know, it's actually about how you draw these things together into a more systematic approach that actually 
addresses multiple concerns because I can give you an example. At the moment, we are all, you know, you know if you focus on one thing and one thing only, as any farmer will know from past uh, mistakes made from breeding and so on, other things can fall off the wagon. Um, and actually, probably a, a pretty good example of that at the moment is, is um, you know, there's a, a huge focus out there at the moment, for example, on carbon. It's kind of the, the number one topic and it's eating up all the oxygen. Um, but the danger is, yes, you can, you, if you focus and you say, right, I'm just going to look at carbon, 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 only carbon, you can have, you can deal with various consequences where you actually your biodiversity, your water quality, your air quality suffer because you say, I'm going to wear carbon, so it's, it's get, let's get rid of the methane, let's put all the animals in the house, feed them a starchy diet. Well, actually, yeah, that's grand. You've just maybe cut your methane emissions, but you could have all sorts of ammonia emission issues. You could have all sorts of water quality issues and biodiversity issues. So how do you, um, how do you get a more holistic approach? Because, you know, a word that's probably used and abused a lot is sustainability. Now, if you take it in its roundest form, I think everyone should embrace it because sustainability is three pillars, economic, environmental and, and social, people, planet, profit. Um, you know, and we need systems that deliver for all of that because the farmer always has to make a profit because as the old saying goes, you can't be green if you're in the red, but we need to deliver these other things. We need to find win-wins, you know, we need to find things that will, you know, and that's why, for example, we're looking at things like legumes at the moment, multi-species towards red globe or whatever, because um, there's a potential win-win, but the farmer saves money on fertilizer, but at the same time, he will reduce his, um, is carbon footprint. So let's start there and let's focus on those wins-wins and let's keep an eye on these things. And let's, I think, monitor things over a longer period of time um, and keep your eye on that. Now, this does add complexity to the system. Um, I, find I was just discussing earlier um, in another interview, um, you know, uh, we were talking about, you know, uh, moving to, you know, um, more swords of legumes in them, whether it be red clover, whether they be multi-species or just white clover swords or whatever. For the last 40 years we've had in grassland, which most of our dairy and beef sheep systems are based on, been, been predominantly perennial ryegrass with an ample uh, supply of artificial nitrogen. Um, and that was really, really simple, uh, almost idiot proof. <laughs> and we have that refined down over many years, lots of research institutes. We have that down to an absolutely fine art. Um, but then all of a sudden we say, well, actually, no, we can't do that anymore. We we really can't keep using those quantities of, of artificial uh, fertilizer. We need to reduce our um, carbon footprint. We need to, to improve our soil health and so on. So we need to think about adding some more complexities and biodiversity or whatever back into the swords. But then you're into a whole different management ball game and, and so on, and a lot more skills around this. And again, it becomes more important than ever for farmers to be adaptive and to have those skills to kind of think on the hoof and adapt because you know that aforementioned blueprint is just not going to work there so and how and how do you do that and how and how do you kind of keep an eye on some of those those broader things to make sure you're delivering right across the sustainable facility piece people planet and profit so i think you know i i you know i think it behoves us that we do have to kind of think bigger and think broader that is certainly more challenging. It's definitely more challenging for the farmer. It's definitely more challenging for those of us that are trying to deliver those messages because there are a lot more complex. There's a lot more facets to it. Um, and I um, actually had a meeting with some of our sister levy bodies in GB last week, and we're all doing different things among our farmers, trying to collect more data and be more holistic. But we all agreed it, 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 it's a lot more challenging. Um, 
if you're just focusing on one thing in the status or whatever, a cow lane, this, well, there's get this one, two, three, do it, simple, done. This is this is more challenging, and not to say we we should, you know those 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 good messages and mistakes and lameness and everything else that you have done hitherto aren't important. Of course they are, but it's actually having that that, that broader look to make sure that we meet all the challenges that are coming down in terms of the economic challenges of making a profit, which is is by no means easy, but also some of the very ambitious environmental targets that are now coming down the line at us in terms of carbon and no doubt others to follow on air quality and water quality and biodiversity um, as well. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good point. And when you were talking there and, and obviously, you know, it does become more challenging to be more holistic. So and my thoughts then turn to industry collaboration and actually sort of the the need when we're looking at that more holistic systematic approach actually for industry collaboration to to be even more important and to be even more at the forefront of, of program development absolutely and that's what on farm work we have been collaborating with industry for a while and you know, we, we i got set to continue because the sustainability agenda in terms of the environmental sustainability kind of focusing on that for a moment yes there's the statutory stuff coming but actually the pressure is actually probably coming even faster and even harder from the supply chain in terms of things like, for example, scope three emissions on, on greenhouse gases and so on. So um, you will find, I think, um, increasing interest from, for example, a lot of the processors and suppliers as well uh, of a lot of these things. And we have been um, taking more efforts to, to kind of work with them, to network with them and so on. Because you know, that's that's where you can leverage in um, a, a lot more influence um, and scope and so on. So these challenges are so immense that you know any one organisation, no matter how big, is never going to tackle this on its own. It's going to have to be a multifaceted approach um, across across industry, across third sector organisations, across government, and so on, um, to make this. Um, to, to achieve this, because you know there are some very ambitious, um, daunting challenges out there at the moment. I think it's you know with the with the growing networks that we have at CL, I think you know we are we are placed very well to to help to facilitate some of those communicate um those conversations with regards to collaborations and and partnerships. So it's great to it's great to hear that that that's coming through um from our from our members as well. So in terms of ag research moving into the spring, um sort of what's what's taking up your time and what can we what can we expect um to be in development. Well, we are at the moment, um, uh, obviously, we're, we're starting to gear, look forward to the spring and the new grass growth season. We have just recruited a, a few new farmers for, for this year. Um, we've also um, historically our, our grass tech plots at Hillsborough were um, based on fairly high levels of nitrogen, 272 kilos per hectare, which is more or less the limit. Um, we realised that that kind of amount of nitrogen is probably not going to be applied in the future. So he actually last year took uh, started to establish some clover plots um, with, with lower amounts of nitrogen. So that will be coming in uh, over time and it probably take some time for that to work through. Um, also then in terms of kind of the more the more on-farm work, um, we are just actually this week um, launching a very ambitious new project um, looking at um, conserved forages um, from legumes. Now, we've actually done quite a bit of work um, in the last two or three years through Super G and, and a European Innovation Partnership project on multi species swords and so on. Now, they're mainly for grazing and they're more the beef and sheep sector. We want to do something for the dairy sector, which is generally kind of probably relied more on conserved forage. So, therefore, we're doing a new kind of project called Zero and Sile. 
um, which will be primarily looking around red glover based swords. Um, and we're going to be, well, while there's been some very promising work done at kind of research institute level on that, and, and we know it can grow in Northern Ireland, there actually hasn't been that much experience of growing it out. So we've got 12 farms right across Northern Ireland, just crews who'll be establishing red clover based silage swords this year. We've also got a small waller uh, component of the study where we're going to do something a little bit more ambitious and we're going to start looking at, well, in some of the drier areas, areas around County Down. Um, should some of those farmers be looking at the server? We've got one or two farmers growing it already. So we're going to look on a kind of small pilot basis on four farms to, to see can we successfully um, establish, manage and, and utilise the CERN um, because we are just seeing this move to hotter, drier summers and it may be something that becomes an, op an option for, for some of the driest farms in the future. Um, so those are some of the projects that we are, um, are, are looking at at the moment. Um, we're also wrapping up at the moment our, our, our four European Innovation Partnership projects, um, Arc Zero, which um, we do communications for, which is led by John Gilliland. We have uh, also projects on um, direct targets like treatment of anthelmintics, uh, the use of multi-species towards in beef and sheep, um, which are also drawing to inclusion. We'll have be having some final uh, events and activities for, for all those projects. There's a lot to be going on with and it sounds from, you know, we've discussed a, a lot sort of over over this the last period of time that we've been talking. And and I think, you know, you were saying there about sort of the move to, to some different swords and, and obviously the weather playing an impact as well. So not only have we got different systematic approaches and different um, sort of soil types and different farmer approaches, we've now got changing weather. So so those levels of complexity just just grow and grow and grow. But for me, some of the points you made right back at the beginning of our, our chat about, you know, that move from very much a top down approach in, in past years to that more sort of co-creative, co-designed farmer approach, um, I think is, is something that we've been hearing loud and clear from our, from our members, which is fa fantastic. And actually that multi-channel approach. So it's not just about going on farm and, and doing a farm walk. It's not just about putting an article in a, in a news magazine um, or a farming journal, but actually, you know, having that sort of social media approach and webinars have taking the digital with the face to face, with the physical of maybe a, an article or something like that, bringing in those WhatsApp chats, chats so things can be very formal or very informal, instantaneous or very planned. You know, that that real mixed approach is, is absolutely key. And I loved what you said about bringing the farmer confidence and enabling them to speak to others. You know, some farmers will always put their hands up to do something and, and always engage, but actually working with farmers and working on their confidence for them to be part of that sort of uh, that, that community um, is absolutely fascinating. Um, it sounds like grass check um, over in Northern Ireland is going from strength to strength as it is in the in the GB program. Um, and really, I, I love that that thing that you said about the blueprint, you know, the one rule just won't fit for all. Um, and I think that's a that's a real sort of take home message um, for us all. But, you know, things are complex. And actually, when you look at that holistic approach, it does get complex, but actually the impact and the results that we can gain um, from using that holistic approach um, over the longer time, and it's not a quick fix, it is a long period. I think that's where we're going to get those those real gains. So Jason, I'd just really like to thank you for your time today. Um, and for everyone listening, remember to follow CL on Twitter and LinkedIn, um, or check out C i.e. livestock.co.uk for more CL insights um, on the farmer adoption uh, campaign that we're doing. And if you're a CL member, you can now listen back to the Farmer Adoption of Innovation webinar, where the panel discussed opportunities and barriers to innovation uptake, the importance of support throughout the supply chain and ways to reduce farmer risks using a multi-level approach.
The recording can be found in the member area at the CL website. Thanks for listening. Thank you.